The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned. Hello, this is Jenna Rose. I'm Trevor Flynn. And I'm Ben Haworth, and welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast, the one that I demanded over and over and over again. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, so glad you did, because I probably wouldn't have watched them, and I'm really glad that I did. So, And you take Aww. ownership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yes, we're talking about uh, one of my favorite directors making a, a big project that, I, I don't know, I, I feel like hasn't gotten enough mainstream attention, so... Hopefully this will be a little little spark for some people out there to check it out. It is Small Axe. Uh, I'm not going to get into the film Twitter depths of debate about whether this is a show or a movie. It's five movies. That's what we're going to say. Whatever. It's it's something. It's a thing that exists on Amazon and there's five of them. Watch them. Uh, but basically what this is, this is a film anthology series by Steve McQueen, who directed 12 Years a Slave and Shame and uh, Widows. Um, very talented British director, and it's a series of five films that uh, deal with the uh, West Indian immigrants in London. Um, a bit of backstory, as far as I understand, um, this is a show that makes you really want to like get a great uh, historical book about this era or something because it's a fascinating kind of uh, subculture I, know, I knew nothing about. But basically. London in the 50s sort of uh, invited a lot of people from the West Indies to move to Britain. And then when they moved and immigrated, they treated them horribly and racistly. And uh, they were deeply oppressed and are still often very marginalized community in Britain and especially in London. Um, so this focuses on sort of a lot of their stories and their struggles. And the uh, title comes from the Bob Marley song, Small Axe which is if you are the big tree, we are the small axe, basically about the idea of fighting oppression through small, um, cons you know, concise, constant uh, feed fight back. Um, uh, and that's what it's about. So let's just start with overall thoughts and then we'll start digging into each episode uh, shortly because, you know, we don't be here for, for five hours, but uh, so there's plenty <laughs> to talk about. It's not that. Um, but yeah, so let's uh, let's go with you, Trevor. You said you were happy to have watched this. What do you think overall of the uh, the five the small axe project? Uh, yeah, between this and I think Widows is the only other Steve McQueen I've seen. I I I love these. Um, I think if you have, I mean, I didn't know anything at all about this history, and uh, so it was very educational for me. Um. Yeah, I, I just I think overall, one of the things I've, I've, and I've heard a lot of people comment like similarly that like, I don't know, we, we're used to seeing like a lot of in in like big Hollywood movies like 12 Years a Slave, for instance, maybe I don't know, um, like in, in stories that I'm used to as a white person seeing about black struggle for civil rights and that kind of thing. I I don't think I've ever seen a film or series of films like this where there's just so much actual appreciation and attention paid to the cultural life of the people being oppressed and kind of what they're fighting for. And I really, really enjoyed that uh, overall. I think if you have even the slightest interest or like of reggae music, <laughs> then this uh, yeah. series will definitely reinvigorate that 
for you uh, as it did for me. I've been uh, listening to the Steve McQueen playlist on Spotify for the past few days. I am doing the obsessive thing where I get fixated on that song from Lovers Rock and will not <laughs> stop listening to it. Yeah. It slaps so hard. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have to agree, um, but I'll get more into it. Jenna, what do you think of this uh so I was also excited um, that you brought it up. I don't remember the context, but I was like, oh, that kind of sounds interesting. I guess I'll check it out. Um, and then I'll, I'll be very forthcoming. I somehow missed that there's a fifth one. So I watched the first yeah. four and I was like, OK, I'm ready for this. And then just, you know, came up in conversation, the fifth one. I'm like, oh, crap. And I was actually really happy because <laughs> that one ended up being my favorite of the five. Um, <laughs> I so, figured that one would, would hit you personally. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's that's exactly exactly it. But it was kind of funny because I almost completely missed it. Um, but overall, like I agree with what Trevor said. Um, the soundtrack is just beautiful. I think there's a lot of really nice things, some of which and I've commented on another podcast, but I don't have quite that same like artistic edge of film. Um, and so some of it, some of the scenes like in Mangrove, there was one where like this bowl is rocking for a little too long for my taste. Um, <laughs> it's just like because like, it's such a powerful moment. Right. And it's a community that and a history, too, um, that you guys have said that isn't really focused on. And so sometimes I'd rather see a little more of the action because I think it would appeal to a larger audience. And I I know um, you're both, you know, purists. So sometimes appealing <laughs> to a large audience isn't a good thing. Um, but <laughs> I know I know. Um but it's still like, to me, um, sometimes getting people's stories out is a really big thing. And sometimes that means you have to kind of like swallow that, that pill and find them the, the good middle ground between like really fascinating dialogue and really just like fascinating scenes to watch, um, with that, like beauty that comes from a lot of this. Um, I think that's my overall first take. I just talked a long time. No, I, I get that. Yeah. Steve McQueen, I should say, uh, Started as a, as an avant-garde filmmaker and, uh, and and did lots of visual art and still does lots of visual art and uh, you know talking like museum level like uh, you have to go to a gallery to watch a lot of his stuff mm. kind of things you know mm-hmm. so there's definitely a lot of that in his movies and sometimes some people find it very frustrating I don't because I like <laughs> those kind of things but I totally understand sometimes you're like. All right, I've watched Alex Weedle on the floor for four minutes now. I get it. He's sad. He's, he's very sad about what just happened. Oh, come on. You got to say, like, I've listened to Alex Weedle's cellmate go to the bathroom enough. Like, yeah. okay, that, I get the idea. One, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. There was definitely, uh, I had, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, because of the heavy accents and a lot of the slang, I had the uh, the subtitles on. Oh, same. I didn't miss any of the dialogue. Same. And, and uh, I had to laugh in Alex Weedle when multiple, multiple times it said, sound of feces dropping into toilet. And I was like, Doesn't have to. I get it. Prison's bad. I get it. It's no fun. All right. Uh, I, I, I'll just say quickly. Yeah, I also very, very happy with this. Um, I don't know. 
certain of these episodes for me were the first two especially were just so incredible. And I think among his best work, I also really liked education. And my only complaint when I get to it is that it's not long enough. I I just wanted Mm. more. It's so good. I just wanted another 30 minutes with that kid. I I thought it was such a good film. Yeah. Um, Perspective. Sorry. I'm the perspective shifts from the kid to the mom. And then it doesn't really go back to the kid for very long at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 got a nice coda, but I just I needed a little more with that film. Well, like, and they we'll don't flesh there. out the sister enough. And I understand exactly. like we're all just like starting to dive in. So I apologize for adding to that. Um, <laughs> but it's like you see this like really powerful moment where where the sisters brought in at a key critical like teaching moment. And then like, you know, quick, quick little moment and then the end. And I'm like, no, no, like. I demand more. <laughs> My demanding yeah, did nothing for anyone who cares. <laughs> the uh, the the old Roger Ebert quote of a, a good movie is always too short and a bad movie is always too long. <laughs> just very true. Uh, so let's just go. I want to go in chronological order because I think the sequencing is interesting. And I think starting with Mangrove is very smart because for one it's the longest it's the only one that's over 90 minutes it's two hours long and it's the most politically intense i mean they're all political for sure um but this is the fir- the one that is like about courts and dealing with police brutality and constant oppression and protest and everything so i think it really is smart to start with it because he really wants to set you into these are the stakes. This is like the big stakes of this. And then we're going to like get more. I feel. Um, I I kind of smaller have to, from there. Yeah. I have to disagree with you, Ben. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I think that, and I definitely agree with the first half of what you said. I think um, like it, it is the most overtly political with our current times, what people focus on anyway. Cause like, there's, you know, way too many, way too few minutes in this podcast for me to talk about the political system of our education. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, no, but it's I, bad. I, I kind of think that um, starting with Mangrove as the first in this series um, creates like a very high obstacle for people seeing the other ones. Because mm. um, mm, un- unfortunately, like, and uh, I will try my hardest not to bring my own politics into it um but right now in the u.s um like police brutality has created this like division um again like not making a political but it's created a division so when you open with that people are immediately like oh this is amazing like let's really dive into this or they're like click next series Off. and there's some like really powerful messages to be had with the other four um that to me the sequencing it is really interesting and some and like because there's some days that i watched a couple of them in a row um so it's a little abrupt but to me starting with this one creates like a really high barrier of entry for like pe- some people to continue watching well, I think that's very valid. I think that's fair. I, I, I particularly liked it just because I particularly think that the, the double act of starting with that one and then going to... Um, also, I think that Mangrove feels to me the most straightforward one. It's, it's you know, very clearly a... Um, a, a lot of people, of course, compared it to Trial of Chicago 7, which is came out right around the same time and very similar. You know, it's like 
the Mangrove 8 was a thing and Chicago 7 was a thing. And they're both like these very famous political things. And there's very clearly a trumped up uh, trial in order to quash dissent. And there's a lot of parallels between the two stories for sure. Um, and I think it is the most like openly like here's a two hour film. There's like the first hour is about the the constant oppression. The second hour is just a trial um and and doing all the trial things and it has those trials up and downs and the exciting you know getting to break down the system i love the whole sequence where he's showing how small the little hole that they would have to look out of the police van was and he's Mm -hmm. like there's there's all those like great little things um in the film and then i like that it went right into that into lover's rock which is very much not that it is in much more (laughs) experimental kind of 80 minute music video <laughs> and i mean that in a good way i love that movie um but it is very much more experiential and like this is what people live in but not but i totally understand jenna that maybe let's start with that and show these people in this community in this world and then go to the 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 the, the problems with it so it, the sequencing i agree can, could could potentially be changed i particularly just thought it was interesting to start with this is the fight they had like the big political fight of this community and here is like what this community is trying to have like this this small pocket of you know a mix of joy but also you know sexuality and and all these things and 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 having to contain it in such a small place and keep it safe um but mangrove like i said it's it's about a true story all these uh, three of these are true stories um interestingly three of them are you know essentially biopics um this one focuses mostly on sean uh played by sean parks uh frank chickler critchlow who's owner of the mangrove restaurant which was a restaurant in um i want to say it was kensington it's a part of um west london i'm trying to find out notting hill sorry notting hill which yeah. is sort of interesting because now notting hill is known for that hugh grant movie that but it was the rom-com yeah yeah, but uh, Notting Hill was a, was a popular place for West Indian people, and it was a, you know, totally West Indian friendly restaurant that in a very interesting way, I thought that what I really appreciate about this movie was kind of about how people can become historically important without even meaning to be or maybe even really wanting to be in a way. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was so interesting about him because basically he owns this restaurant. The police constantly raid him. And all he really wants is just to have this restaurant serve um, what he call, always calls spicy food. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, serve this authentic food, have a place for his community, have you know people be in and out. And just by the nature of allowing political dissidents and allowing people to be have an open forum there he is constantly harassed and i thought that was a very interesting idea of like being forced in this position where you kind of want to give up because you're not as politically minded as some of the other people but you're kind of stuck in this fascinating thing and and, and he's not a negative character at all he's a very powerful interesting character and i i love sean park's performance but what do you guys think of that the, the way they kind of frame this movie around him I, I kind of thought it took away some of the voices of like the the British Black Panther movement because um, like like Letitia Wright I think becomes just like a powerhouse and she always steals the show right she's, like oh, she's incredible. so great at some point <laughs> at some point they're all wearing the hats though right is was that a Black Panther thing or oh they're wearing like those those berets you mean? yeah yeah like 
Mm. I have no I idea. If that I kind of guess so, but I don't speak from knowledge. Yeah. Um. Sorry, what were you saying, Jenna? Did you? No, no, you're good. That that was really oh. my point. It's kind of like I think that it, it's. Cool uh, yes, they were the they were the British Black Panthers officially. Yes. So just double checking that. Right, and and um, the character that Letitia Wright plays was actually like a a real person in the British Black Panther movement, one of the leaders. Um, but you kind of she's like becomes a side character to the whole idea of restaurant, which does have powerful themes as like a gathering place but at the same time it's like you have movements where um other other people are having a huge impact and instead it's kind of like shifted to the side around this like restaurant where the owner you know tries to like gamble away his restaurant <laughs> i love that scene <laughs> when he puts it on the, the key the deed or whatever on the table and they're like nope sorry that's your burden to carry but at the same time the community comes together to help them carry the burden <laughs> They're just like, buddy, sorry, you, you started this. You got to. Yeah, I I love that conflict running through the film. And I think, yeah, the been the inevitable comparison to Chicago seven. <laughs> I think having that central conflict, not that there isn't one in Chicago seven, I guess. But I mean, it's 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 easy to to appreciate that more about this movie in, in that it has that conflict going through it of like the price of activism and and how people turn into activists without wanting to be. They're just made examples, or especially if it's a, an oppressed person or a member of an oppressed class. I think especially the epilogue also may, is a good comparison to Chicago 7, because when the epilogue of Chicago 7 comes up, I'm like, this wasn't a happy ending, I, I don't think. And, you know, because the just the, Sorkin tries to argue in that movie that, sorry, I know you, I hope I'm not digressing too much. I know you wanted to kind of compare no, the two. Is Sorkin, you know, from my point of view, is mistaken that movie is he tries to put a happy ending on it, like the justice system yeah. eventually came through when really, no, it was not a triumph of the American justice system at all. The whole point was it's it was terrible. a failing. Yeah. yeah, systemically, it wasn't just this one guy. Um and I think I, that uh, that comparison comes up for me, too, because the epilogue in this movie is so powerful because you learned that. Critchlew had to go back and do this like what eight more times or something ridiculous like this was just the yeah. first time and that just put and he, he eventually left yeah yeah, yeah and it eventually closed. eventually closed yeah yeah and I just thought that uh, was like such a powerful coda to be like to give you like the struggle that to, to raise the struggle up is worthwhile but also to give such a stark contrast with the epilogue and the actual inspired by true events actual history yeah i love that for sure i want to shout out um the cinematographer for this because i was surprised he he always works with the same guy sean bobbitt for most of his films and for some reason he just wasn't either available or he wanted to use someone different for this i'm not sure why but he he used a pretty new cinematographer named xabier kirchner my apologies if i butchered that um you can't be a cinematographer without uh, a name I can't pronounce. That's a rule. Um, every cinematographer I know has like uh, an incredible name that I can't pronounce. Uh, and I think he did a very good job. Uh, clearly, Steve McQueen has a very specific style and he knows what he's looking for. But there's an, an incredible shot in this movie that I just love when they're reading the uh, the verdict. And we've seen eight billion verdict reading scenes. So trying to film it in a way that's different is interesting. And I, and here's your Jenna's um I think very valid uh, complaint can be kind of summed up in this <laughs> in this scene uh, where um, it is uh, 
they're reading the results and it just this beautiful pan where Frank is in the center. And as like the camera pans in, as they're reading the verdict, it just becomes more and more in his face. And you just watch Sean Parks, like literally you just watch this incredible actor, just have the feeling of the entire weight of the world fall from his shoulders Mm -hmm. and like all of this joy and anger and stress. And just like, it's such a good acting performance and it relies on totally, it's a great shot, but it relies on a great actor to, to nail it. And that's the kind of stuff that when I see in this movie, I'm just like, yes, because I do think <laughs> there is that BBC element of like BBC is interesting because they they have really upped their game. I think Sherlock especially kind of up their their game and having to be a lot more visually appealing. There was kind of that old thing of like, it looks like a BBC show because they used to <laughs> yeah. film in, on tape and then it looked terrible. Um, and and so I do think there there is a little bit less of that experimentation and that like it's very clear that uh um steve mcqueen takes his time and really patiently fans out these shots and so there's not as much of that care sometimes but uh at mangrove especially i saw the most of that and so visually this was definitely probably my second favorite next to hmm. uh lover's rock yeah. um and and I agree, Jenna, too. It's it's this frustrating thing of um, when a community is so underseen on movies, you're like, this is great. But where's the Letitia Wright movie just about her? Like, <laughs> I want to see that now. Yeah. I think that's incredibly potent. I uh, wanted to All note right. real quick. Sorry, I ruined the transition. No, no, um, the I also enjoyed uh, kind of the Spike Lee-esque just like pivot to just showing black and white historical photographs of the highway construction. And I didn't follow up on this, but am I to understand that the exact same thing happened to communities of color in Britain where the highways came in and just like erected physical barriers cutting through these like communities that had like, you know, uh, you know, community kind of not policing, but like uh, kind of shared resources and just like, just tore down those communities a little bit like the same thing because it seemed like it was paralleled in such a way as to represent that but i don't know oh yeah and and it's something that he does very well in widows too um, Dean mcqueen very much understands the importance of spaces and and spaces as oppression <laughs> in yeah. a way or not in a way in, in actuality and that is true. I looked that up. That was like a huge controversial thing that they've never apologized that they just kind of tore up the West Indies Notting Hill neighborhood to put in a, a highway. Mm-hmm. That is 100% true. And I think there's some really powerful scenes, like you said, of kids like playing under the the, the concrete pylons that just feel like out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if we're good to go. I'm going to move on to the next film, which is generally often gotten the best reviews but definitely the most experimental and unique of them because like i said the other ones are three of them are biopics and the other one is a not a biopic but certainly feels um based in reality and uh, apparently um steve mcqueen experienced a lot of the stuff that happened in education so it's sort of a a Mm semi-autobiography of his own experiences um so the next film is Lover's Rock. This is a very interesting film. It is basically just an 80-minute house party. Um, it follows uh, two characters, really. It, it mainly focuses on uh, Franklin, uh, mostly focuses on Martha, rather, Martha Trenton, and uh, a young um, West Indian girl uh, who goes to a house party and meets up with a cute boy named Franklin. And they dance, and they have... I don't think they have sex, but they make out. Um, and they... 
have a fun time and then the morning comes. Um, but it also explores a lot of things. The title comes from the genre of music that is present in the entire series called Lover's Rock. It's a specific kind of reggae that was popular in the 70s and 80s. It's more pop focused, but still obviously has a lot of those roots. And uh, I just love this movie a lot. It is uh, granted it couldn't come at a better time for me in a way. And that like, yeah, you want me to think about how great being intimate and close to people and just having a great time is while I'm stuck at home God, months and just, months and months. I, it made me miss parties so much. And I, I, I've never been to a party remotely like this. Just, <laughs> like, no, same. It is, it's beautiful. But um, like, uh, yeah, for a person who did not ever appreciate or like parties that much, God, it made me miss parties. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, uh, it's just very interesting, but I also think I like that it, it, it dealt with some, you know, people say this is a high movie and I find that kind of f- odd because I think they're missing like that. There's like some very intense stuff in this as well. There's, there's, you know, threats of, of sexual violence. There's this really harrowing scene where the, the, one of the, the main woman is, is walking away from the party and she's being accosted by very clearly racist white youths. And it really is like. And then that scene really was what set it for part for me to be like, this is why these spaces matter. Like, this is why these kind of communal spaces where you're fighting in just this tiny little house uh, that where it's so intimate that the walls are sweating, which I thought was such a great detail. Um, <laughs> well, I uh, think to, actually to what have was this and preserve this. I think yeah, what on. was kind of powerful about it, um, like even with the like you said, the like harrowing scene of um like the idea of sexual assault and then she's sexually harassed. But what I think is kind of powerful um, and it actually, it's weird. So bear with me, Trevor. (laughs) Um, But to me, it kind of had a parallel with Queen's Gambit in that you expect something bad to happen to the main character. And it, it, it doesn't like quote unquote, like sexual harassment is a real thing, but she doesn't experience physical violence. In fact, she helps someone. Um, and to me, that was powerful. And like that. So this was my second favorite of the five. Um, and I actually liked it for that reason. Like, especially when her friend ditches her. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be horrible. I can't watch this. I don't want to watch this. Same. Um, same. Because like, especially um, so like what you guys are both saying about how you miss parties and stuff. And I get that. But to me, like why this was my second favorite one is the the last scene where she's just like, well, right before her mom calls her to church, I should say, when she's like in bed, just happy. And that kind of made me think of like one yeah. positive during the pandemic is you really learn like how important relationships are, even if they're not in person, they're not physical, but just like who you can count on in whatever way that is, whether it's the person you're no, you know, like semi quarantine with, or if it's the people that you are on podcast with or whatever it is. Um, and to me, like that, that smile that she has at the end was so powerful because it's like, human connection is important and we've all had to learn what that looks like in a very different world. Um, and to me, like it was, it was gratifying to see the, the main character not have this like scummy sleazy guy, like put date rape in her drug or try and like her, you know, like rape her instead. It was like, she could save someone and the guy helped her, also save someone from sexual assault and to me that was like that was just a good feel-good movement of like 
oh, I thought something horrible was going to happen and it didn't, which was nice. Yes. I yeah. uh, I very much agree with a lot of that. And this is also probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. I have trouble appreciating the romance in this and ignoring the lingering just feeling of dread that someone is going to get sexual assaulted. Anybody. And yes, like it's your, <laughs> you're important. It, it, you're great you're right that it doesn't happen to her. But she like that rapist almost follows her into the bathroom like immediately alarm bells are going off and like ben was saying it is a safe space but it's also the 80s so it's obviously not that safe for women i guess and i just you know not having that it you know i just from my point of view i'm just worried the whole time and then when something does happen i'm like okay i'm not really over this uh but i guess we're having a romance now okay yeah sure and <laughs> in the back of my mind too i just really bleakly and this is maybe in bad faith on my part was like god in that situation are you just like can, can she even go home by herself like and this is me being ignorant you know as a guy looking back at what, what life was like for women in the 80s it's like her friend left her she's alone those guys accost her on the street like is she hooking up with this guy partly just because she doesn't have a choice like i didn't I, I that's really bleak and dark and i'm and i apologize but like <laughs> i i i do feel like that tension throughout like it was hard for me to accept it like as a i i didn't i didn't feel like it was that it's certainly hopeful and joyous and like i love just like the lingering shots of this culture of the of the dancing and just like the camera just lingering on people's hips and hands doing stuff it was just so beautiful and i felt all of that but i I didn't see it as a romance, which apparently it is. And people describe it as I've heard that more than I've heard like a I, stoner film. But I don't know. I, I view it more as a coming of age story. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I see with Jenna that like she experiences it all. Right. She she experiences being attracted to a guy and getting some kind of flirtatious romantic stuff. But she also experiences, you know. The scariness of being an adult woman and the scariness of being an adult black woman and um, the the highs and lows of of that. And I think part of her going to, you know, when she's just in bed and the second she sits down, she goes, let's go to church now. It's like it was her first kind of adult night, I feel like. Yeah. And that's that's what I more view it as than than to me a romance, because I don't think these two are going to like live together forever i think <laughs> right. it's a fun i say there's a couple week flirtation like a cool, that's gonna end beautiful hookup but a hookup you know like yeah I, i'm exactly yeah. I, I viewed it more as a very important moment in this young woman's life yeah that's gonna be meaningful to her but not yeah not her prince charming or yeah. anything. <laughs> he's hey now just because he doesn't maybe. you know he doesn't live at the car garage doesn't mean he can't be prince charming <laughs> oh, come on yeah, yeah. i <laughs> felt bad for him just let him make out of the car garage poor guy i kind of thought that they could have cut the last couple like those not the last scene because i actually i really did like that like when she sneaks into bed and everything um but i thought that the bit with like seeing his place of work and then finding out that he doesn't own it it's like to me it kind of drug out um a story that like was beautiful it's just yeah, reinforcing no, I, I see ben saying about it being a safe space too it's reinforcing how unique that meeting place was when the lights go down in right. that room and everybody's just there with that. Like music. this guy's safe space is only there when his boss isn't around. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and I have to say like this movie had me from the moment. Well, I mean, I, I like 
just like the setup, the the silly games. You guys know what I'm going to say. Like the silly games song yeah. is a great emotional through line. But that acapella scene where they're just in the party and everybody knows the words to the song and the DJ <laughs> cuts it out. Just fucking I that does so fucking beautiful. It's scene man. of the year for me. Yeah. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. It's like the one everybody mentions like that I have to say it because it's yeah. It's it's so good. Also, right, uh, kung fu you, fighting, you, kung fu yeah. fighting blew my mind. <laughs> that was awesome. That. It, it, I was yeah. like, oh, it, it, re- it reinforced my opinion that kung fu fighting rules, and everyone <laughs> needs to just. I know it's been in like eight hundred kids movies. It doesn't mean it's not great. <laughs> but it's seeing great two people so excited about it when it was new, and it's like they have they. This is before MP3s. They didn't have access to this, and then somebody puts on that song, and you're just like, oh, it's my song, and they just do this weird stupid shit i loved it i loved it so much i also like that they they did they had such a wide variety of music in this episode i especially like the scene where they're playing like these really hardcore reggae that is just like pounding instrumentals and the it's mostly guys and they're kind of making like almost a mosh yeah play. yeah lena all is like it's like you know you imagine frustration but also like passion and and that's just it, all the different kinds of music and the different kinds of tempos that this film plays with you know, Steve McQueen always said he wanted to make a musical, and uh, this is kind of the closest thing he's done yet. And I, I think he's, I, 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 I'm curious if he ever will make one, or if this is what he means by making a musical, because <laughs> he's a weird arty guy. Uh, anything else to say, or shall we move on to? All right, next is uh, Red, White, and Blue, which is odd as being an American, uh, and this is about a <laughs> yeah. British cop. Yeah, um, I couldn't figure out why it was called Red, White, and Blue actually. Um, but uh, there you go. Uh, maybe someone will tell me. Maybe it has something to do with uh, police uniforms. But this uh, stars um, John Boyega as another real person, Leroy Logan, a famous uh, London officer who founded the Black Police Association. Though we don't really see this. This is mostly focusing on his kind of first year and early um, struggles as a police officer. Um, similar to Alex Weedle, which we'll talk about later, that uh, it kind of. And we'll talk about how we feel about the fact that it kind of avoids his more famous stuff he does later on and instead focuses on like what kind of brought him to that stuff. Um, And uh, yeah, it starts John Boyega, who finally gets a role that is like worthy of his talents. Thank God. Like uh, uh, I I was just very happy to see that. Uh, uh, But yeah, what'd you guys think of this one? This is kind of your typical ish um, uh, police uh, drama, you know, a, Leroy Logan is a a black cop who goes into a very racist society and racist, you know, police force, of course, and tries to upend it. And obviously, faces a lot of ups and downs. Um, yeah, what do you guys think of this one? I think this Did one. Oh. Um, sorry, Jenna. Um, no, no, go ahead. Uh, I think this one and Lovers Rock are this one especially since it's the first more personal story. Really made me appreciate Steve McQueen's like. I don't know, direction, I guess, like these long lingering camera shots that just kind of like get you inside his head and the sense of isolation that he has. I really appreciated. Um, yeah, John Boyega, man. Like, I was just like, holy crap. No, like, have you read the GQ article about Star Wars? I'm sure you have. But like, I, I was just like, I, that. That everything oh, he's so mad. He's he's done with them. He's, everything he's I know about him now. between that and him being involved in Black Lives Matter to see him in this role, I was just like, yes, 
Yes. Like, oh, oh, I had like I knew I thought he was a good actor, but holy shit, just seeing him like contain his rage and the way that he's such like a strict guy and then he just channels it so much and that tension running throughout. I just I loved that as just like this personal he's, story. He's a uh, he's a top tier angry screamer. Uh, yeah, he is. I he, <laughs> he, he, he holds it back. But when he he screams, he has this great range. I, I can't even possibly uh, impersonate it but you you know it even in the star wars movies he does it sometimes but uh yeah or sorry jenna what were you gonna say about this no so unfortunately i'm gonna be like the downer here so this was one of my like this one and alex weedle neither of them hit it for me like yeah i, I liked this the story right like it and especially like you said just what he does later is super powerful and i have to have a huge amount of admiration for that but to me like when i'm thinking about small acts as a as an entity neither of these are going to be ones that i really talk about um and i i am having a hard time pinpointing why like as trevor was talking especially i was really thinking why um because the the acting is phenomenal like i enjoyed watching them but at the end of the day it was just like it, it didn't hit the mark i guess yeah, th- this one, Alice Weedle, the two that I thought this series was going to be when it was first announced, where he, it was more pitched as like it's an anthology TV show. And then when it f- more came out that it was like five feature length movies, I was like, oh, that's wow, that's really interesting. Um, and I think it also struggles for the fact that it comes after Mangroves and Lovers Rock, which are so interesting. And Mangrove is a full two hours long. And this whole it's basically a full Stephen Green movie. And Lovers Rock is like this fascinating, slightly avant-garde like kind of thing to have like what I thought was going to be, which is like a 60 minute or I think it's more like 70. It was 80 minute, actually 80 minute long uh, anthology show that kind of felt more like a BBC show. Uh, was an unfortunate downgrade. And I also think it's just this one really frustrated me because um, Alex Weedle, you know, I, I understand it. it's hard to do writing and it's hard to like deal with that. And 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 his story is so interesting and it, it's very much the Johnny Cash thing of like, it, you know, it ends with uh, and walk the line ends with like, and then he was Johnny Cash. You know? <laughs> and it's like, he was very successful for a very long time. <laughs> and I totally understand why you want to talk about the more tumultuous early years. But this one, it's like everything was tumultuous. He still is dealing with this. And he's <laughs> such an interesting figure. I, it just when it ended, I was like, okay. I, yeah. I, I I was very frustrated by the ending of this one because I get why they why he told half a story kind of in a sense in, in Alex Weedle. I don't get why he did in this one. I felt like it was... Uh, unfortunately lacking in that sense. And I, I just, it just made me want a longer, I don't know, mini series about the guy or watch a documentary about him or something more uh, in depth. I think the experimental, you know, just living in his world thing didn't quite work for this one, despite the fact I really liked John Boyg in the role. And I really liked his, his, you know, I thought they, they did a really interesting thing with his dad or his dad, you know, uh, it's a true story. It's this fascinating thing where his dad was uh, horribly beaten up by the police and, uh, he then decided to become the police to work within and, and dealing with that very tough thing of like, okay, you're working for the police and you say you're trying to reform, but you are actively helping in a sense, these people who did this horrible thing to your family. And, and that all was very interesting. I see why I wanted to focus on that element, but I was just by the end, like, Oh, well, like, I guess it's over. <laughs> all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, uh, that's something good 
cheers when he sits down with his dad and starts drinking with him is very abrupt of an ending. Um, I I did enjoy the the kind of cruelty of it in that he has gone into the system seeking reform with this not naive like he knows what he's getting himself into but um you know still kind of youthful perspective and then i don't know i i thought him sitting down to pour a drink with his old man was just such a great way of like capturing oh okay now i get it like I, I know how like cruel and like hopeless it can be. So like I'm yeah, like you just telling me that he went on to found a police union now that I know that, yeah, that makes me view it very differently. I'm like, yeah, it would have been nice to at least have that in the epilogue or something. Okay. So I think we've pretty much covered that one. I think we're all fairly meh about uh red, white, and blue. <laughs> Um, but let's talk about the next one, uh, Alex Weedle, which we, uh, as mentioned, has far too much pooping in it. <laughs> but it's interesting despite that. Uh, uh, otherwise, yeah. Uh, well, except for that, like, I have to just add one more comment about it is it seemed like it was like the little kid humor in an adult film. Like, when, whenever you watch like the newest Disney or Pixar film, there's always some kind of like poop humor, which is not really my style. And this was like for the adults that enjoy that. That's how I felt. Hey, bathroom humor is not like the crutch of Disney and Pixar as much as it is DreamWorks and Illumination. Let's be clear. There's a there's a stra- <laughs> there's a clear there's a clear stratification when it comes to cheap cheap jokes. And yeah, I, I remember once I uh, when I went to see Paddington Two for the first time. Um, every single trailer I counted had a fart joke in it, and it made me so depressed for children. I was yeah. like, Can we not? <laughs> and and Paddington Two does not, because that's why Paddington Two is the best. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I need to watch that. Someone's gonna like send me now a Paddington Two gif where I forgot, and I'm like, man. <laughs> um, so Alex Weedle, this is another uh, biopic. Um, Again, another person I had never heard of, but a a pretty interesting story. He was a, or he's still alive. He's a novelist, but he um, did go to prison for uh, a very long time. Let's see how long he was. So he went in 16. He was when he was 16 and got out around when he was like in his 30s, I want to say. So, wow, I did not get that, that that's how long he was in jail (laughs) or prison. Yeah, he was in there for a while. Wow. Uh, well, no, let me see. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was reading that wrong. He was in the social services in the 1981. He went to jail and I don't really say when he got out. So not clear. But yes, he was uh, part of the Brixton riots, um, which was uh, an event in the 1980s. But uh, obviously was a uh, kind of uh, not jailed super partially, but also definitely not deserving to be in jail for so long and kind of deals with this story of this angry young kid who's kind of lost and trying to find his way and then ends up at jail and then ends with uh, the true story that he uh, ended up leaving and became a very successful writer um, of young adult fiction. Actually, I was kind of interested by that, but uh, he's kind of this, um, you know, notable success story. Um, but uh, Steve McQueen does not uh, make it an, an inspirational tale. <laughs> this is very much uh, about the terrors of the prison system and how lucky it is that he did not become um destroyed by it um uh but uh this one's also odd it's one of the shortest it's 66 minutes and again is much like red white and blue kind of half a story um doesn't really 
deal with this whole writer side. It, it just sums it up at the end. So um, did this one work better for you guys than red, white and blue in that sense? Or is it uh, about the same or worse? I'll, I'll be quick. Um, mine was about the same like these. So both red, white and blue and Alex Weedle are my least favorite of the five um, kind of tied like neither of them was really standout. I thought there was a lot of powerful moments, um, but there was just like for me a lot to be desired. Like you have two people who make um, like who have who are Im- important people that, you know, we should know about and especially their role um, in Britain. But to me, like neither of these really hit a high note with me. Yeah, I, uh, I I found this one a little better than red, white, blue, but not by much. Um, and I think only in that sense of just because I know it's I, I just don't want to watch a guy write and be like, you did it. Like, so it's very tough to do writing on screen. Very few people have succeeded in it. And, and I think it is a very interesting way of ending it to, you know, I think it kind of leads to this place where he could go off and become a career criminal potentially, or, or, or be kind of consumed by the system, or he can, you know, go off and try to take a very horrible, horrible experience and build something positive out of it. And it's kind of about that, you know, both are possible. And I, I like that kind of Schrodinger's ending a little bit, even though obviously we know and they say in the epilogue, but uh, also again, it's like I had to Wikipedia this guy. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that and red, white, and blue. I feel more upset about it in red, white, and blue, but it is kind of annoying. Okay. Like this just, was definitely the weakest one to me by far, but I also think it's like the smallest scale story, even though he did participate in the Brixton riots. Like the story is just laser focused on him uh, as opposed to his surroundings i think and um yeah it's the only one that has like one person's real name you know yeah yeah it's about him yeah i i think it tried oh sorry trevor no i i um i i did love the um the irony of roald dahl's radio interview him listening to being like oh you know i just wish that i could be alone on an island and not have to put up with anybody when this kid when this kid who also goes on to write for uh, not children but young adults i guess his biggest problem is isolation <laughs> and just yeah. like the privilege. And also Roald Dahl's. Yeah. And also I kind of have racist. recently come around and thinking Roald Dahl's an asshole. So yeah, I enjoyed <laughs> that. Um, I, I think that was on purpose for the people at home. Some of the yeah. people who, who yeah. know about Roald Dahl. <laughs> when I, he says uh, on an island alone, he means alone from other people. <laughs> Certain yeah. races. Yeah. But what I but my biggest takeaway is kind of like I I don't know but my takeaway from this was that you kind of feel him like trying to fill this empty void with music after he's been so abused and neglected and so isolated and it's like he's trying to it, it seems like he 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 does his best that he can to make sense of his life without like directly confronting his history of where he came from and, and his blackness and his, his heritage. And that's kind of the journey that he goes on as he, by the end of the film decides to go and find his family that kind of abandoned him. It's not, you know, I, they, they, it, we, we're told from like a kind of bullshit, you know, probably racist social system services file that his parents, that his mother abandoned him. So we don't really know what the actual circumstances were. So I wouldn't trust that too much, but like, yeah. Um, 
yeah so i i, I thought that was an interesting story um it, it kind of unique so i i still got something out of it i still really enjoyed it but yeah it's definitely the weakest to me too i agree i think one of the things to me is like it tried to it tried to touch on too much in a relatively short film compared to the rest of them like so you have him being abandoned and like you said trevor it's kind of weird because i i'm pretty sure and correct me if i'm wrong but i thought they said like to a married mother and so it kind of implied an affair um and then you see like really just i mean it's pretty graphic abuse that he suffers as a child um and then you see him like a kid on his own who gets taken under the wing then, like, I, I just feel like it kept bouncing to these, like, a lot of issues. And then it, like, moves on to the next scene because it's got to, like, throw a whole bunch in 60-whatever minutes, you know? Yeah, I, I unfortunately don't have that much more to add. I think I'll have pretty much summed it up. It's, uh, it, it, these, these are the two, like I said, that me feel the most, like, anthology show episodes and don't really feel like um they're still movies i'm not gonna say that <laughs> but uh, they just feel like i don't feel like he put as much they, they felt like breck burnery kind of to me other than like even though john boyega is in one and clearly he was very he's very excited about that he's talked a lot about that and working with john boyega i feel like these two didn't feel as as much uh important maybe and that's terrible to say i don't know what he's thinking but uh they, they just didn't feel like quite um yeah quite up to snuff for me all right let's talk about uh education and i'm very excited to hear jenna's take on this um <laughs> and uh i'll be all take on this because this was a very interesting film um not what i was expecting from from hearing about it i i, I wasn't quite looking forward to this one but ended up I'm loving it. Um, Like I said, it's semi based on Steve McQueen's real story. He was also um, put into one of these schools. And basically what it focuses on is this sort of um, very controversial and uh, very, yeah, let's face it, racist uh, practice of the British government, uh, or British uh, school board system, rather, um, placing predominantly black children and children of ethnic descent, but not all, but often into what they would call special schools, which was essentially um, a joke. Like they, they didn't teach anything. They were not actually, you know, obviously um, Jenna, I'm not sure on the current terms. I feel like special needs is kind of outdated. I, I don't know if there's a better term for, for students that have learning disabilities that need better care, but uh it's not like that where that is a very valuable thing. It's very much like a shuffle these kids off and, and, and became very clearly a forced um, deintegration policy in the sense of kind of quiet, nasty deintegration policy. And it focuses on one of those kids, a, a smart kid, Kingsley Smith, but who has learning difficulties and that he's not able to read unless we find out. And even though he's very old and instead of addressing the fact that he has clearly been lost by the system, they shuffle him off to the school and, uh, it's about his mother kind of learning about this and activists trying to fix these terrible issue. And Jenna, I really, really want to hear what you thought of it because I know you liked it a lot. Thank you. Um, I'll try not to talk for the remainder of our podcast. <laughs> no, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> no, so, settle in. Um, I'll kind of like, you know, poke fun at myself one more time because 
especially, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning when I was laughing myself and thinking for some reason there's only four, is that coming off of Red, White, and Blue and then Alex Weedle, um, when I found out there was a fifth one, I was like, oh man, you've got to be kidding me. Because um, I, I really wasn't invigorated to like watch a fifth one because I had enjoyed the sure. first two, but it was like, it was at the point where I'm like, mm, Diminishing returns and yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've reached my zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I like I watched it and I was just blown away because um, I I think, you know, some of our listeners probably know, um, but I taught at a high risk school um, for three years and I, I taught a lot of kids like this. And so just seeing because and obviously like, you know, everyone wants to relate their experience to what they're viewing. Right. Like that's one of the powerful parts of a film and of music, too, I, I think. Um and just art in general, really. But to me, um, like the American school system still has so many problems like this where, where, um, where, you know, kids of color and people of color are more likely to be real, to, to have, um, like a, so it's called an individualized education plan. So to say that they can't learn in a, a standard quote unquote learning environment, they need something like basically the assumption, you know, like the underlying unspoken word is they can't learn in the same environment everyone else is. And so you still have that as a massive problem in, in the American school system, even now. Um, like we like to pretend that we've made such great strides forward. And in some ways we certainly have. Um, but you have this situation and, and one of the most like scenes that just like cut straight to my core was when when he's still in, you know, like regular school or traditional school or I don't know, whatever term that they used. Um, and his friend acts out and the, and then he uh-huh. acts out. Mm-hmm. And so many times we see kids acting out as just like, oh, like what a little jerk or something like that. Whereas like they're really like they want attention. And and I think one of the things that was super interesting is like he has a pretty good home life. Um, and whereas like like a lot of the kids that I worked with don't. Um, and that's why they would act out is they wanted love and they didn't know how to get it without like negative attention. So they'd act out just to get some kind of like, you know, so negative attention is better than no attention. Um but that scene just like hit straight to my core because I'm like, oh man. Um this is a, a moment when an educator, when an adult who like has been trained, has worked with other kids and just like you're an adult. So you have more ability to ration, like to to be an adult, <laughs> to um, to use all those years of experience. And instead, that's when he gets shuffled off into this like. And I, I thought it was so powerful when the sisters reading like, why did they put it in quotes that it's a school now? Or I, I don't oh, remember the exact line. All capitals, but I, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was just such a like, I mean, it was a comic moment in a non-comic film where it was like. What a what a clever a person. comedy this yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, when the uh, when um, the teacher. The House of the Rising Sun oh, scene God. is very funny to me. Such, I know it may have gone on too long, but that's the such joke. Such torture. It's so funny. Such torture. Like, what could be worse than being made to listen to this probably inebriated white guy <laughs> with terrible hair and no musical talent droning on, butchering one of the best, like, blues songs probably ever written by probably white people. I don't know. Like, the animals. It's just like, who is it by? Yeah, who, who wrote that? It's like, oh my God. Just every... Stephen Quinn is right that if that song is bad, it goes on so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
very funny. Um, also, when the, uh, I don't the, know if you had any. Also, when the the kid comes out of the closet after she's quieted every, all the kids down, and there's this one kid left in the closet, that comes out and says, "I hate psychologists." Just to say that. Uh, I, I I was very surprised by this movie. I think I'm. I'm clearly tired of a very specific kind of education movie, which is out of favor now, but the, your stand and delivers, you know what I mean? Your, oh, your, your, your education yeah. movies where all we really need is a smart teacher oh, yeah. who could come in and whip these freedom riders and, and the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I like stand deliver and it's a she's story, but the, it got so old and, and especially, yeah. Freedom writers where it's like a white person coming in. Well, and, Yeah. There's that. And there's also like the unstated assumption that, yeah, like you're saying, Oh, education just needs like really good people to be teachers that are underpaid and put their own money into it and have absolutely no mm-hmm. support from the state to just be really good people. Yeah. And uh, Give everything of themselves with no, but yeah. So, so that's the kind of the yeah and, kind of why that narrative is still stale to me. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and one of the things that I'm so impressed by with uh, Steve McQueen is the way he's able to deal with oppression and class in very interesting ways. I think Widows did such a good job, and 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 in Twelve Years a Slave, there's a uh, really amazing scene that uh, would you would cut out of any other movie, but just says so much, you know, because it's about this guy, this true story of this guy who was. Um, a freedman in the north who got captured by slave traders and sold him. Um, and he lived for 12 years before he was finally freed. Um, and it's there's this very harrowing scene in the early movie where he goes in and he sees a person with a slave, and there's just this recognition of the difference and the tenuous nature between that and I think he's so good at doing that and the, and the scene that got me Jenna is when um and the very early on where he's struggling to read and then the teacher just goes "Ugh, you go and he just gives it to another person that's how to me what that was saying is this is how this happens is it's 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 people who aren't willing to say hey a black kid that old not reading is bad and we should address this and look in this and talk to him and figure it out it's here a nuisance please go away you know what i mean and that is a similar thing of these kids are nuisances they make our school look bad let's just put them away somewhere and let them rot and that's and that's what i think was so interesting and different about the story and and brought a level to the the educational gulf between um, so many people uh, in really sharp focus to me. My only complaint about this movie is that it's short. It's the shortest one, and it's one of the most narratively rich, and it makes me very frustrated. It's such I a wanted- roller coaster. I teared up I, more times during this than any other because I, it is simultaneously the most hopeless because and heartbreaking because of moments like that and the most uplifting because there is so much getting fixed and and being shouted back at the system like the confrontation where his mom tells the guy you lied to me what do you mean special like whatever request period where i have appeal period you didn't tell me about that like you know all this and yeah there's so much turnaround and you knew it was coming but god damn the scene where she she makes him try to read is just gutting oh it is so so effective and so so tough but so good and i really like the mom too i really appreciate it that it's like another thing that happens and it's not their fault is these people are overworked this is a person who's clearly working multiple jobs who's trying her best exhausted and 
expects that the school is going to teach, you know, her son to read and <laughs> just kind of assumes that. And it's not until she gets in the community and sees these people and she's like, wow, this is probably happening to my son and then realizes it and and gets mad. And I think it's a really interesting portrait of the mom, too. Yeah. yeah, And I, I just want to add that like scene where she forces him to read is actually like because it, it could be a pretty violent scene, right? Like an overworked yeah. mom, an overworked family where mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, you could blame the kid like and you kind of see that earlier, like it's your fault. What's wrong with you? You're just making me miss out on time at work. But instead, they just like dissolve into tears, the three of them, and then like mm-hmm. move forward in a positive direction. And I. Again, like that that's a thing that I really enjoyed about this is just like that positivity because, you know, during like the pandemic, we don't need this like more tragedy where it's like the mom beating the kid because he can't read like which happens, you know, like, unfortunately, that's the truth is sometimes like people don't understand different learning styles. And so I, I liked that, like you have this super tense, packed scene. And then it ends happily, like mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is probably, and I say this knowing full well, like thinking about his movies, this is probably his happiest movie, and it's a dark movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, a dark film. that's the other but thing. But it's his is- most positive, and, and he said, like, he actually wanted to put this in the middle, but when he saw that final scene of him and pulling out to the stars and the, the community, he's like, I, I have to end it here. I can't, I can't end it on a, a more sour note. I have to end it. Right, because it's unlikely he's going to be able to get back into the mainstream school system. I mean, that's kind of acknowledged up front, but they mention writing to the Secretary of uh, Education. And then- that was like the Picasso, this will never sell. <laughs> Very. This woman, Margaret Thatcher. Oh, no. That was funny. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's asshole just clenched. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a roller coaster. And Ben, you were saying yeah. earlier, we should say again, this is like his most personal like story that he was probably closest to. Like this was his experience. He went through this and that's Yeah, he 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 was he was similarly shuffled off into one of these schools and um thankfully um he comes from a slightly better off, more middle class family, but uh you know, he he struggled a lot. He said he had reading difficulties for a very long time and um, a bit of a stutter, which you'll still hear sometimes occasionally. And he was just, you know, one of those kids where probably need just a little bit of extra boost and instead he got shuffled off. And I think this one was very important to him. And like as much as like I did enjoy parts of Red, White and Blue, part of me just wishes this was a three film anthology series. And this one got the same level of fleshing out as Lover's Rock and and Mangrove. Like I, I thought this one was just such an interesting portrait and such a unique way of dealing with education that I hadn't really seen before. Like I liked bad education this year, but that's more about a very specific person who's stealing from a specific thing. It's not about this institutional issue. And I think this kind of personal view of a systemic problem is often, I think one of the most powerful because you can say, Oh, 200,000 kids ended up in these schools or whatever the number would be. But if you focus on one and his struggles and then you think of the magnitude of that over and over again, like the, the scene where the guys there in the meeting, this guy's like, my son's 16 and he can't read. And it's just like, 
it really like it gives you the the brevity of the problem. But again, like Jenna says, the hopefulness of the ending is what really makes it like seeing this community, seeing him open up. Because what I like is they open up with the fact that he is interested in learning. He loves the stars. He loves astronomy. Clearly, he's he's watching in awe at this uh, planetarium show. But people just assume he's dumb because he can't read. But instead of dealing with the fact that that's a structural issue, not a personal issue. Oh, boy. So that was a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, this is great. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say about any of these or education in particular before we get to scores? On uh, the tra- note of the transition and the ordering again of how they fit together, I did think it was cool that education is the answer in um, in the last film before this one. And, and, and then... It's this one is about, oh, even education is it's still hard to get a good education if you're black in Britain. <laughs> like it's it's just but also like the most hopeful and and how great and what a you know, what the gift of education is and very hopeful. And I yeah, I, I think that it, it has it's probably one of the stronger pairings just for that reason in terms of how one leads into the other. Maybe I don't know. I like that. All righty. Well, then let's uh, let's give a score. So we're going to give a score to the whole um, experiment series, whatever you want to call it, uh, project in general. But I also would like to y'all just to rank the movies uh, in order, if you can, for your own personal preference. Uh, I'll go first since I probably should have mentioned this before. And that's what I would <laughs> do. Uh, so I can give me okay. a second to take a look. Um, I'm going to rank it. Uh, Lovers Rock, Mangrove, Education, Alex Weedle, Red, White, and Blue. Um, and I feel bad because I think there's a big gulf between Red, White, and Blue and, and Education and Alex Weedle. Like, you know, these three up here, those two down here. I think there is a definite downgrade in those that that third and that third and fourth one. Um, the only issue I think I said with Education is I want I wish it was ninety minutes. I feel like if it was ninety minutes. We had more fleshing out of the. The characters more uh, Jenna mentioned. I don't know if it was on air or not. The the sister kind of got short shrift. I definitely wanted to see more of her in that film as well, and uh, more from the mom, more from the kid. And I think a ninety minute film of this would have been just like oh so good. I think and and probably would have been my favorite. Um, maybe not. I Lovers Rock is kind of special to me. Um, but overall, I'm going to give this series an eight out of ten. And even though those three are so, so good, I do think those other two are his two worst movies he's made, frankly, um, which is unfortunate. I still think they're good, but I don't think they are anywhere near up to his caliber. And I kind of just wish we just had these three personally, because I think they're so good. And I think that maybe could have been more time for education or something. I don't know. (laughs) That's Um, what I was just going to (laughs) say. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't know so uh but i love steve mcqueen i'm very happy he was able to make this this is definitely his blank check i thought widows would be but this this is i mean he he got the bbc to basically give him like 70 million dollars probably to make five movies for them it's pretty incredible um i i i i think he's such a talented director and to get five new films from him is just like crazy uh I think especially Lovers Rock and Mangrove and Education are so important and and interesting. And I definitely recommend those three. I'd say, you know, if you don't feel up to watching the other two, you don't have to. Um, It's, you know, another two hours probably to watch them or more. Um, But I think, you know, I still think they're worth watching, even if you if you like the other three. But 
especially watch those three, especially watch those three, especially since Lovers of Rock and Education are short. I think they're very easy to watch and uh, and fit into your time. Um, I think that's such an interesting idea to deal with like this interlocking stories that don't have any shared characters, but have shared visions and goals and, and community. Um, I thought the stories he picked were very interesting. I thought it was um, brought attention to a part of London and British history I'd never heard of. And, but also is very relevant to us in America for sure. And people around the world, I'm sure can, can relate to the the struggles in this film. And I think, yeah, it's, it's intense and there's intense elements to it, but all, especially the best three films, they all had bits of levity or excitement or intrigue or, 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 or humor occasionally too. Like I said, um, I, I don't think they are homework movies necessarily. I do think those other two maybe can feel that way because they're just not as strong, but overall I'm very impressed by this series. So eight out of 10 for me. All right, let's go to you, Jenna. So I had like a weird sense that you're going to make us do this. So I was prepared. I'm very proud of myself yes. right now for that. <laughs> I love um, lists. <laughs> I was just, I'm just glad we don't have to score every single one. No, yeah, no, I'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I think it's no surprise. So education was my top, um, followed by Lover's Rock and Mangrove. And then just like you said, Ben, that like, pretty for me like a, a relatively significant gap um i would probably put alex Weedle slightly above red white and blue but to me they were still pretty comparable like just just didn't do it um overall i think i would give it a seven out of ten and i feel kind of conflicted just because of like because it's five of them it's hard like i, I don't want to yeah. sit and rank each of them for sure <laughs> um yeah. but to me like there is a to me, there was a pretty significant discrepancy between three and two. Um, and then it was funny when you were talking, I was thinking like, yeah, if they had just cut out, you know, red, white and blue, we could have had so many more minutes for education. Because um, <laughs> I actually. Why is it the like, shortest? Oh. Right. Well, and especially because like Lover's Rock to me had a nice like scheme. Like I didn't really end that one wanting more. Like I, no, I liked yeah, how it ended. Yeah. Um, Mangrove to me drug a little long um, just because of the two very significant portions of it. But um, overall, I don't think I have a lot more to say than what I've already said. Like, there's just there's a lot of like really beautiful things of them. Um, and it explores a lot of ideas and topics that I did not have a history of. Um, and I liked learning more. Like, I, I really did enjoy that. So, yeah, seven out of ten. All righty, Trevor. Uh, eight out of ten as well. I, uh, you know, I. Um I learned a lot and like I cried a lot and I laughed a lot. I just I, you know, it it's it's always fulfilling for me when I take the time to actually watch like movies like this that like, yeah, like I think uh, Jenna bringing up with Mangrove being a barrier to entry is like a salient point and that it's it's very hard to watch things about how evil and terrible and oppressive racism is. And, uh, you know, that does that means it's, you know, also very important, obviously, and more relevant than ever, uh, you know, as we've all probably felt in recent weeks. Um, but um, yeah, I just 
I'm totally biased right now because I've been listening to silly games like at least once a day <laughs> since I watched Lovers Rock. So I'm going to say Lovers Rock is my favorite. I should watch more experimental films than I do. I just vibed with this so much. And yeah, I think also being in quarantine and vicariously attending a party is, is probably part of it. Um, I know I like criticize like, I don't know, the dread in it, kind of the, the conflictedness of it. But, you know, that's also life. And it's just well, now, now I'll say you can watch Lovers Rock again because I, I did. Well, it's the only one I watched twice because it's 80 minutes and it's also just fascinating. And mm-hmm. I like it a lot. And now that you know that that nothing truly awful happens, I mean, <laughs> still harrowing, but nothing terrible happens. It's more, it's it's an easier sit for me the second mm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's definitely my number one. Um, I think then probably Mangrove um, and then Education. Um, Followed by Red, White, and Blue, and then Alex Weedle. I don't have a great sense of justification for the order after that, but I guess, um, yeah, I guess education is too short. I don't know. I don't know. I still, <laughs> I still love it, and it's definitely the happiest one. Mangrove, I don't know. It gets the benefit of being the first one, also, and I, I think it does. I think it does really benefit from the comparison of the other big Oscar worthy courtroom drama I watched this year. I think that's also a big part of it and watching like such like, I don't know. I mean, it's also a more focused movie for one. I mean, it has, you know, a very different job to do, but seeing like seeing them cherish these tiny victories they have when they disrupt court so much more meaningfully (laughs) than like, you know, kind kind of the antics and whatnot. And, um, you know, of, of some of the movement in represented in Chicago seven is just more fulfilling. So yeah, I give it an eight overall too. I am really glad I took the time to watch it and glad you pushed for it then. Cause I probably wouldn't have Yay. taken on really five semi feature length films otherwise, but that's I'm what sure. I laid out. I was like, look, it's five <laughs> movies. Some of them are short, but it's five movies that I understand <laughs> if you don't want to, but I really, and I was like, them. all of them, all of them at once we do. And you were like, yes, if you can, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I did because at least, I'm so glad that Jenna saw Education is her favorite. Oh, man. If we had come on here and you didn't see it, I'd be like, oh, I think you would have really liked that one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, that means the Movie Gang Podcast gives it uh, 7.5, which feels low to me, but also like we do agree that two of them are, are weaker. And uh, we, we definitely say those. We all agree that the three education uh, mangrove and and uh, lovers rock check those out and maybe skip the other ones all right y'all this was great i'm so glad we got to talk about this this is rare i don't think i'm gonna have another film anthology to throw out so i appreciate again y'all coming on this was a blast and uh very happy to talk about this film because uh i'm looking for podcasts on this film and there's not many, unfortunately. I, I need more. I need more people to talk about it. Why is not my film people talking about it? They are now that it's the end of the year, yeah, but they only talk about Lovers Rock. Pop culture, like, happy talk hour. Talk about the other ones. It, but uh, yeah, they don't really do an exhaustive. Yeah, but only for 25 minutes. Yeah. I need more. Yeah. I need more. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and then Next Picture Show did a Patreon episode on it, but it was also only twenty five. Oh, wow. has has slash slash film not covered it? I don't. I guess they haven't. I come maybe maybe maybe. Yeah. Well, anyways, I'm 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 deep in the film Twitter world now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just let's just end it before I start talking about Oh Hazel Bulbasaur or something. Um, let's uh, thank you all for listening uh, be sure to rate review subscribe uh, anywhere that you can certainly helps the show um, share this one around if you've seen lovers uh, if you've seen any of these films um, they're available on Amazon I don't know if we ever mentioned that but uh, they're available on Amazon Prime to watch whenever oh and I'm going to give the soundtrack a 10 out of 10 I've listened <laughs> yeah. to that 8,000 times uh, since this has come out on Amazon Music uh, Amazon since they produced the show and helped distribute it here as all the songs are pretty much all the songs they can get the rights to um on the amazon music streamer and it's also on spotify as well and uh check it out because it's the, the needle drops in the shower he did his research he knows what's up um and uh we also have of course lots of other podcasts that you can see over at tuscan shed media network.com we got animania i saw you guys just did your fall yeah, uh, round just did the fall wrap, uh, which will be coming out soon, if not already on the waves. And then we'll, I think it, I think it was already out. Yeah, when I saw it. And then we'll be uh, doing our uh, winter 2021 season preview next. Oh, nice. I always love a good preview. Mm-hmm. And we got uh, Feast for Bros. We've got um, Geek Space Nine. If I know Trevor's been watching Deep Space Nine. Oh, great. Great quarantine watch. Yeah, just hanging out. Yeah, with- if you want to get into the worlds of murky political yeah. <laughs> and the terror of oh, God. war. Yeah, I just watched the- Watch Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Dominion false flag arc was was pretty uh, was was pretty heavy. Just just recently watched. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I watched a very funny. I sent a very funny video to the Geek Space Nine crew uh, of this guy who was talking about how when he was watched Deep Space Nine when it first started because they were going for this more dark and intense show and he's like, they're on and. It's just the place is full of trash and they're all just talking about this war that just ended and then the Enterprise leaves and he's like, no, come back. I want my positivity. Yeah, you look at the uh, the Netflix preview that comes up for it when you hover on it. It's just, just bleak, smoke-filled, like, immediate aftermath. I'm like, this doesn't represent the show and, like, the quirky shenanigans and Quark and Odo. Quark goes back to Roswell. There's all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. It's not all bleak. (laughs) Just watch that one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening so much. Um, And uh, for Movie Gang Podcast, this has been Jenna Daggett. Or Jenna Rose, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for listening. And Trevor Flint. Bye-bye. And I've been Ben Haworth. And we will see you all next week. Bye-bye.